lot of time. Quarter right for Moore. Got it. Touchdown, even with the flags. Second touchdown toss from Mike Riley in this second quarter. Restore the Roar is a podcast hosted by Michael Ball and features Lions broadcaster and former quarterback Julio Caravana. Each week, this duo will tackle issues involving the BC Lions and the CFL. In each installment, they'll also highlight a player, coach, or builder at the amateur level in the province and take a trip down memory lane in the Lions Legends segment. Now, here's Ballsy. All right, time to kick things off with our buddy Julio Caravana. Julio, um, we got we got lots to talk about, man. Now, n- now, now, the best news story to hit the CFL in a couple of years is new ownership in BC. Let's get your thoughts. Yeah, no, really, it was uh, very exciting. A very exciting news, and I won't lie, uh, Ballsy, that uh, I was a little bit taken back because you know, hey, I've been asking uh, Rick Lalashur, and I've been asking everybody around here. You know, hey, is anything happening with the estate of Mr. Braley at the sale of the team? And um, we were getting nothing. And then all of a sudden, you know, that we right out of the blue was, hey, we got a we got major announcement, new era. And sure enough, it was Amar Doman who, um, you know, who 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 was a local guy who his family's been here for over a hundred years, uh, who is well well entrenched in this community. Um, that he was buying the team. So, you know, I mean, uh, uh, he's a guy that I'm sure if you saw the clips and heard him talk, he's a, he's a young guy who's, you know, really excited about the opportunity to, to bring this team back. Um, he's got a lot of great ideas, understands that he needs to put some money into the, into the Lions, into the marketing, into the sales, and, and is willing to do that and has the money to do it. I mean, this guy is, you know, he's very, very successful uh, businessman. I think that would be, you know, Money is not going to be an issue, which is always, you know, when you hear that uh, and you hear his willingness to want to spend, um, you have to be excited. So it's going to be, you know, interesting to see what he does, how he tackles things. Uh, He's made it very clear that he doesn't want to interfere at at all with the football parts. He's left that to Rick Campbell and Neil McAvoy uh, uh, to handle the football side of it. And uh, he's going to start taking care of uh, all the other stuff on the business side. So, you know, when, uh, you know, I'm sure he's already got a lot of ideas and it'll be interesting to see how this thing moves forward. I like the fact that he's from BC because if he's out and about in the community, business community, at the restaurant, wherever, he doesn't want to be embarrassed. Yeah. He wants to, he wants, hey, sure. that, that, that's my team. It's the BC Lions. So he's going to take pride in it. And that's not a cut down to David Braley because I think Mr. Braley saved this league and people forget yeah. that very quickly. But he's local. He cares about BC. He cares about Canadians. He, he's saying all the right things, so I think it's good. Hey, and here's the other thing. Ballsy, when your name comes up on my phone, I answer it because I know who's on the other end. Right. So the same can be said for him, right? You, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. he's got that kind of clout in this community, in the business community. And I remember when Bob Ackles took over this team as president in the, in the early 2000s. And that was one of the things that Bob Ackles did was that he went out and he literally went to every banquet. He shook every hand. He did every speaking engagement. He looked up every person that he had a relationship with and phoned them personally. And those kinds of people, and even in in the end, his connections with the NFL, uh, he would call people and they would call him back or they would take that call right away. And so you know when when Amart calls people that 
especially in the business side, because he is, like I said, we're not talking about tens of millions, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars that the, that family's worth, that, you know, people are going to call him back. Mm-hmm. People are going to say, hey, how do I get involved? I want to support you, right? Like, that's that's huge in in this business, right? Like, you got to have those kinds of connections, and, and he does. Yeah, for sure. Now, the team has to do its part. It goes out and lays an egg in that game. That, that, old, <laughs> that, that old line and the depth issues really rear its ugly head again. Yeah, you know, here's the thing. You know, you lose uh, Joel Figueroa, you know, early on. Uh, David Neville get in there, and I think it was on the very first play, he got beat around the corner. Right. Um, but they settled down a little bit. Um, and so what, but what I will say is this, um, Ballsy, is that, and, and, I, and I've said it continuously, the defenses in this league are no joke. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they, 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 like Edmonton, like, so this is one of the problems I think would happen with BC was, they were full of themselves when they came from Calgary. Everyone's talking about how good they are. Their defense is this. Their defense is that. All we got to do is score points. And I think that they saw a team that was wounded, 0-2, at home. They thought, oh, we got Edmonton, who's 0-2. Edmonton played that game desperate. I can honestly tell you the intensity level on that side of the ball was just, it was impressive to see it up close because – on defense, they were flying around. They knew they needed that game badly. And I don't think the Lions match the intensity. And they're still really young on defense. And still trying to, you know, and I think a lot of those young guys got a, a, an introduction to the fact that, hey, when you're every single game, you got to bring it. And you got to bring it. You don't got to say, oh, I got to take it to the next level. That's you be take, You got to be taking it to that level every single snap. And so that part of the game was a disappointment for the Lions. And, you know, talking to a number of those veterans, I think that's one of the things they say that was one of the disappointments, but also a very good learning point for this young team uh, that they have to, they have to, you know, come with that intensity and that desire to be great every single, every single play. And so um, I'm interested to see what the bounce back is, right? They, they struggled, as you said, offensively, they just couldn't get a rhythm, and that's, again, a, a testament to Edmonton's defense because they played so well. But, you know, it, they, need to, they need to help themselves out when they're struggling in behind the line of scrimmage by getting the ball out of the quarterback's hands a little bit quicker than he does. And so I think you might see a little bit more Lucky Whitehead, uh, Rainey, get the ball, quick screens, get it out of their hands, and, and see, what, uh, see what they can do. Let's uh, talk about this game here against Ottawa. I watched Ottawa up close. They've got a great defense. But their offense is anything but great. I know why. I know why Lapo went with Nichols. But after watching Nichols up close and watching the Argos game before that with Arbuckle, that looks like a terrible decision. Nichols, yeah. Nichols looks shot, man. He 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 looks like he's he's aged, hasn't he? Yeah. I I know. Like I I'm with you. And I and here's the thing about a veteran quarterback like that, like. You know that he still has the capability of reading a defense and hurting you, um, you know, with 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 the blitz. I, I think it was a, was it R.J. Harris that caught one. Yeah, um, beautiful over one. the over yeah. the over yeah over the top. Miss it was a mismatch. It was on uh, the the linebacker, wasn't it? Yeah, it was on Mike. It was on Micah tights. But here's the thing: Tice. they were throwing predominantly to the short side of the field because he can't throw to the wide side. That's Ju- right. Julio, That's right. Julio, you can read a defense too, but yeah. I don't. I'm not putting Caravata in but the game. No, 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 no. But that's what I'm saying. I'm saying like that. If, if I'm if I'm a defense, I'm not going to I'm not going to put myself in those positions where he can hit me 
with a big like with a mm-hmm. with a thirty five forty yard throw. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that if I'm playing him because he ain't going to beat you with his feet. No. Okay. He ain't. You know. I mean, you know where he's going to be. He's going to be between the tackles. And so if you're defense, you know. Okay, that's where. But what you do is you say, okay, you want to beat me? Put an eight play drive together. Right. Beat me by throwing the ball, and I'm going to make you throw underneath and take the, you give me the all the nickel and dime stuff. But that's and that's what I mean with the defenses now. It's hard, right? These guys are good up front. They yeah. they understand that that's the philosophy, and they're all over the underneath stuff. And they're going to make you throw the ball 15 yards downfield and to the wide side. They'll take stuff away. So that's where I think. Matt is going to struggle, right? He's an older quarterback, with, and you can see his arm strength just isn't the same. Now, I know that he had some problems in training camp as well with his arm being tired and sore and all those kinds of things, but he just doesn't look the same to me that he did in, in, uh, in Winnipeg. And so that might be a lot because of the, the cast he's surrounded with, but man, oh man, I, I, I agree with you. That arbuckle for Nichols doesn't look like it's, it's going to pan itself out. And when you've married yourself to that, at this time, you know, unless Dominique Davis comes out of nowhere and, and saves you, um, you mean that they could be in for a long year yeah, offensively. For sure. So Rick Campbell returns to Ottawa where he had a very successful stint there until the end. Uh, do players play for their coaches in a situation like this? Do they well, put a little extra into it? No. So you know what's funny you say that is because um, I was asked that earlier this week uh, about Rick and going there and, you know, is there a sense of, you know, the more and more that I'm around Rick Campbell, I've realized that because he's been around the game so long, I, I honestly don't think that it is something that, that, that he's, you know, worried about or wants to make a statement or wants to go back there and prove Hey, you made a mistake. Um, you know, anytime you get a job as a coach in professional sports, you're hired to be fired. And I think, honestly, like he looks at his time in Ottawa and says, you know what, they, they built something there, right? They built something mm-hmm. from the ground up, and they won a great cup championship. They were very successful under Rick Campbell. He has nothing to prove there, and I just don't think it bothers him. I honestly, he just doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that is sitting there going, I want to stick it to them, but... He, all he's really focused on is, is winning a game for his own team. He knows his team needs a win, and that's what his focus is on. I, I, and I honestly think the players um, have probably not even remotely even talked about it because I don't think it even crosses their minds. Like He just doesn't strike me that he would even bring that up in a team meeting or somebody would talk about that. Um, so you know, I, I, I would be very surprised if that's something that he's put much thought into. Watching that uh, Ryder Red Black game, the Riders let the Red Blacks hang around uh, a bit with penalties yeah. and, and and things like that. But I never felt the game was in doubt. What do the BC Lions have to do to win this game? I think it's the same thing. Limit your penalties. Don't turn the football over. Oh. You should be okay. Well, you mean that? That's the thing that I think you take away from last week too. You just said it right. Was the penalties right? The, and they came at some really inopportune times. And when you're struggling a little bit offensively. You need some plays, some explosion plays that will, like, you know, take some momentum and give you a little bit of confidence. And it seemed like every time there was a specific run by Shaq Cooper, I think it was about a 25-yard run over the left side. Um, he got into Edmonton territory, and it was called back on a holding. Um, and at that point, I, I kind of really felt like you could see the, the, 
the the body language from the Lions. They just were like, oh, God, you know, I mean, another penalty. So those kinds of mistakes you have to stay away from. And they made a ton of them on defense. They let Edmonton out of the hole. They had them, what, second and 10 on their own two-yard line, and they took a illegal contact on a receiver. They took an unnecessary roughness right. on that play. So, you know, I mean, they, they, they gave, I think they actually went, they went all the way down and scored. Yeah, it was a 108-yard so, you know, drive, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I mean, those are the kinds of scenarios you just can't, like I said earlier, Ballsy, and this is where I, 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 I remember Rich Stubler, the great defensive coordinator. He's been around a long time. He says, you know, that was his philosophy, and it worked very well for him, is that I'm going to make you put, put drives together. I'm not going to give up, and that's what Benavides does. He's not going to give up any explosion plays. He's going to limit the big strike, and he's going to force you into 7-yard, 10-yard, 5-yard throws. And he's going to say, you want to be patient? I'm going to test your patience. Um, you know, like he even said, too, like I remember they used to give up a ton of yardage on running football. He goes, well, okay, I'll give you that. But how many teams are going to commit themselves to running the ball that much? They don't. No. For whatever reason, they just. When was the last time you saw a team rush the ball for thirty yards for 30, 30 times in a game? Well, they get bored. They get. They don't want to do it, right? They yeah. just. They. They put them. They all of a sudden, if you if you run the ball a couple of times on first down and you don't get anything, now you're second and ten. You throw the ball. It's incomplete. You're off the field. So teams are like, I I can't risk running the ball like that on first down because it's putting me in too much of a of a pickle on second down. Mm-hmm. So you know you, you you're getting those scenarios where. Um, they, they, and Benny is, is like that. He's gonna, he's gonna rush four. He's gonna rush five. He's got good guys up front. They're gonna, they're gonna put some pressure on you, but he's gonna say, Hey, listen, if you want to throw the seven yard hitch, go ahead, do it. And, and honestly, Ballsy, you see it every week. That's what Saskatchewan's doing. Yep. I mean, they're, they're, Cody Fajardo is, is, is exactly what you want. He's, he's taking what the defense gives you, not sexy, not these big time throws downfield, but he's completing his passes and then, Every quarterback in this league who, who, or anybody who watches this league knows when you have a quarterback who can make plays when the play breaks down, and I'm saying about being able to buy yourself time by moving in the pocket or running for a first down or running to throw a first down. When you can get that guy to do five, that five, six times in a game, you're going to be successful because you're generating first downs when there aren't first downs, right? The play's supposed to break down. But the quarterback escapes the pocket, and now all of a sudden he throws downfield. Quarterback escapes the pocket, and he runs for a first down. Mm-hmm. Those are killers. And so when you can do that, that's when you're going to be successful. And when you don't have a quarterback that can do it, you put yourself in a limited basis because now you're relying on the quarterback to throw the ball downfield all the time and not use his feet. And that's why Cody is as good as he is, is because of that balance and that athleticism opens up offensively. Yeah, uh, and the stats speak to that is a depth of target is, I think, below seven yards or right around seven, which is still below the average in the league, which, once again, like you said, is low because defenses are making you be patient. Okay, okay, so let's get to this last point. I don't see how the Elks don't forfeit this uh, game against Toronto that was postponed. Like, I can't see, because it's not like the NFL where we have the same... um, the same uh, bye weeks, more than one team on a bye week, so I don't see how yeah. that works. And I, I just don't – I think they have until Wednesday of next week to fit it in, but I don't think they'll do it. You know, I agree. You I mean, and this was their worst nightmare, right? The, the league's worst nightmare was that they couldn't afford – they said right from the beginning, we can't afford to miss games. And so if a team – if the team doesn't abide by the rules and, and, you know, they end up 
you know, having to do this, then they're going to have to forfeit a game. And I'm with you. I, I can't see how they're not going to forfeit this game. Ballsy, we talked about this right from the very beginning, buddy. You and I both share the same concern, is that we're afraid that if this thing wasn't under control, that it was going to cost the league the season again. Mm-hmm. And and they, and you and I both know they couldn't afford to do that. So, you know what? Like, at some point here, they better mandate it. And if, you, if you're a player and you don't want to get vaccinated, that is up to you. Right. That, that is your personal choice, but this is a private business. And you see businesses all over the place that are saying, hey, listen, if you want to come in here, you got to be vaccinated. So as a player, if you feel that strongly about it and the team says, hey, listen, we can't, you can't travel, you can't do this, you can't do that, then we're going to have to move on. Hey, and, let me stop you, you. Let me stop you, though. That's, that's, that's true, and I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. I'm just throwing names out there. Suppose Mike Riley isn't vaccinated. Suppose, suppose I, I'm, I'm just—it's a quarterback or it's a main player. I know where you're, I know where you're going with it. Yeah, but at what point is one person, you know, bigger than the whole pitcher, right? Like if 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 that's the case, then that's the case. Mm-hmm. Teams are going to have to bite the bullet and they're going to have to move on. What I have a problem. What I have a problem with is this: is what I have a problem with. We're going to make these guys get vaccinated, and I'm not against what you're saying, but then. Not every team's going to get on board right now and have all the fans vaccinated. Like you can't ask the fans to get all vaccinated yeah. when the players aren't getting vaccinated. Like I know what's going on here. Let's there make has it to be. Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. And and you can't tell everybody at the start of the year that if we forfeit and it's proven that it's unvaccinated players that you're going to lose game checks and everything like that, and then don't do it. Like yeah. that's like telling a kid, hey. Sorry, but you lose your phone because he did this, but then you don't take the phone away. Well, they're going to yeah. keep doing their poor exactly behavior. Right. Exactly right. Yeah, I don't exactly know, right. And then, and then here's the other dynamic about that is all of a sudden, Balji, is that you, you have to forfeit a game, and if you have to forfeit a paycheck, some of these guys that are in the locker room going, hey, hold on a second, I've done my part. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden, this hasn't cost me anything. And now all of a sudden, if it does cost you or it costs the team, What's the dynamic going to be like in well, the locker room? Well, that's that's my biggest concern. I'm not a big. I, I'll be I'll be straight up honest because I've been honest the whole way through. I'm not a big fan of telling people what to do with their bodies. But when it comes to the business angle of the Canadian Football League, like let's be honest here, we're not the NFL. We're not the no. we're not Major League Baseball. We can't screw around with this thing. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. I totally agree. And if again, like I said, I have I whatever whatever your reasoning is for not being vaccinated right. that's your personal choice mm-hmm. but there's also consequences and choices that other people make because of that and then you have to be willing to live with that so before we go here who do you got lions or red blacks i'm gonna go with the lions i i i think that that ottawa offense at home if they don't get off to a good start they're gonna they're gonna you're gonna start you're gonna see people start to boot I, I truly believe that because mm-hmm. they're, they're, they, they've had a pretty decent sample size there. And if they continue to struggle, because you know that's the story in Ottawa, right? Is that, that that defense looks good, but offensively they've struggled. And Matt Nichols hasn't looked good, that, to be perfectly honest. So, you know, if, if you go at home and, and there's pressure, the home opener, all those kinds of things, and you don't start to produce um, – you know, I think you could see you, there's some added pressure there. I think the Lions 
are, are pretty salty about the way that they performed, I think you're going to see a much better effort from them on the road this week. I agree. Thanks for this, Julio. I appreciate it, man. Thanks, buddy. And it's time now for the second quarter of Restore the Roar here on the Growing the Game with Ballsy podcast. And it's time to head to Edmonton and talk with the outstanding color commentator on the Elks radio network. That would be Dave Campbell at 6.30. Chad, now we know what happened when the Elks played in BC. They had uh, Boateng go down with uh, COVID and he didn't play in the game. And then all of a sudden, everything is going uh, haywire in Edmonton. At last word, when we're taping this, 14 Elks have tested positive for COVID-19, forcing the post postponement of their game against the Argos this week and it's looking more and more like a forfeit but let's talk with Dave Campbell about that now just your thoughts on what went down there yeah well it's you know honestly I I felt a little concerned when I uh, landed in Vancouver and and the I saw the notification on my phone that Kwaku Boateng tested positive for Mm -hmm. for the virus and was in COVID protocol and I'm like okay so the team clearly got away and left Boateng at home of course and I'm like, okay, now hopefully they get through tomorrow, which was Thursday. So they did all the testing and they got through Thursday, played the game, flew out. Everything was good Friday. And then Saturday is when things started to change, when five members of the five players, I should say, uh, from the Elks tested positive. And then uh, Sunday morning they canceled practice and didn't give an explanation, which I found very ominous. Um, and they closed the facility. The facility at Commonwealth is now uh, Commonwealth Stadium is now closed for seven days. And, uh, you know, um, I guess the good news is maybe the the outbreak is slowing. We won't get another update unless something catastrophic happens. It, it's been a tough situation for sure. Um, I think there's been a lot of frustration and some anger from the league towards the Elks. I think there's the same within the organization. And, uh, yeah, there's no game this week. They were supposed to be in Toronto on Thursday. That's not happening. It's a postponement right now. And the Elks, for their sake, and even for the Argos, uh, they hope it won't be a a forfeit and a loss for the Elks, and even if it's a win for the Argos, I mean, if they're not over 85% vaccinated as well, even though they did not cause the outbreak, um, they would lose their game money as well along with the Elks. So there's a lot that's uh, a lot that's kind of at stake here, and and it's uh, we'll see what happens, but hopefully it's trending in the right direction where this outbreak is flowing. Like, is Wednesday the last possible date they can squeeze this in, or is there a bye week in October? Like, how could they make this work? Yeah, so I've been told there's no chance that there will be a game squeezed in before Labor Day. So now we're looking to October, most likely. But the problem is, is you know, they have separate bye weeks. That's how it works in the CFL. No one has the same bye week at the same time, not like the NFL. Right. And, uh, you know, if that's the issue is, okay, who's going to give up their, you know, their extra time? to go play a football game and then potentially put themselves in a, a very bad scheduling situation for, for both teams. And, you know, so that, that's the, that's the difficult part about rescheduling this game. So honestly, honestly, Ballsy, I could see, I could see a forfeit coming here uh, for sure, because it, it is not guaranteed that they, they're going to be able to find a date. And I think it's up to the CFL to try and find that date, but there's no wiggle room in the schedule. It's not like the NFL last year where they had, uh, you know, where they had a number of, 
you know, a number of games canceled, and then they, you know, were able to find some wiggle room, and it helped that you didn't have fans in the stands, so you didn't have to worry about stadium availability. But when you look at Toronto's situation, I mean, they they play at BMO Field, and they're not the primary tenant. They got you know Toronto FC there with MLS. So, and then there's a possibility they could play the game at Commonwealth, but you know, again, the the, the scheduling doesn't necessarily, you know. It doesn't really work all that well for, for both sides right now. So we'll see what they can do. Crazier things have happened in this league, scheduling-wise. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think both teams, no question, would like to play this game if possible because they don't want to lose their money. Or, hey, if they can get back to these up to 85% level, then, you know, they would still get their money. But uh, we're not there yet. So, uh, you know, everybody's jumping on the Elks. I have a concern, though, uh, when these teams have bye weeks. For instance, the Riders on a bye week. Uh, coach said, you know, go be with your families or whatever, and some guys are going home, uh, home being the United States, I think. So, like, I mean, what what does that mean in terms of coming back and the whole protocol? And it's not – put it to you this way. It's not a normal bye week for any of these teams. No, it's not, for sure. And, you know, I'm not sure what the protocols are, whether they can – go back to the U.S. to be with their families, because that's what usually happens, as you know, because yeah. there's a lot of sacrifice with a lot of the players with their families and, you know, leaving to go play football because it's, you know, hey, you're not going to play football forever, so go do it. But, yeah, it's uh, I don't know what the protocols are. Now they can get across the border, you know, initially because they were you know, given exemption, so I don't know what goes on there. But there's another point is that you can't police what they do away from the facility. Right. Um, you know, and I think that's why Randy Androsi came out on Tuesday and said, I, I think honestly he wasn't very happy with what Chris Preston said, the, the president and CEO of the Elks. And I think he's clearly pointing at the Elks, Androsi is, and saying, you need to follow the protocols if you're not going to, you know, we want you to get vaccinated first. But secondly, the protocols are there for your protection and for the protection of your teammates. And if you're not going to do them, if you're not going to follow them, then we're going to have to get tough and fine you because we've, like, honestly, like, you, you know this, Ballsy, I think the league has gone out of their way to try and influence players to first get vaccinated and secondly to follow protocols. Mm-hmm. So if if they're not going to do that, then I think they have to take the next step wow. and, you know, start finding people. But well, hundred percent, hundred percent. If you if if you're if you're going to tell teams, hey, uh, you know, they laid it out before the season, and if if somehow they don't give somebody a slap on the wrist or a spanking, so to speak, it's kind of like parenting. I'm going to ground you. I'm going to ground you, but I never take away your phone. <laughs> then I'm just going to yeah. keep doing it. So uh, unfortunately, it might come down to that. Let's talk some football here, though. The uh, Elks did look like the Elks that I thought they'd be. Uh, you know, when the season started, the BC Lions, they, they started a bit slow. The Lions came out of the gate, but then, of course, uh, they settled down. They finally figured out who Greg Ellingson is, which is nice. <laughs> that is nice. You know, uh, 148 yards receiving, which right now is, is the highest total in, in the league right now from a receiver. Yeah, you know, I, I thought it, it looked more like themselves as far as the offense is concerned. I thought Trevor Harris operated well. I thought he was using his eyes well. He was making good decisions, and he also, uh, you know, was able to produce a touchdown, mm-hmm. which was nice. Um, I I know they were disappointed they didn't score enough touchdowns. Uh, they would have loved to have scored more touchdowns, but uh, you know, I think they clearly moved the ball extremely well. I think their defense was ferocious, and I think they set the tone early. Their D line was very good, and then when 
um, when their left tackle went out of the game. I think that really, uh, Joel Figueroa, and they put in, uh, uh, they put in uh, the replacement. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the game totally changed from there. It, it completely changed. And I think Mike Riley did not get the time. He did not get the, uh, he did not get the, the type of coverage he, or the type of, uh, uh, the type of looks he wanted downfield. I thought the Elks did a good job of, uh, you know, disguising some coverages and just, it just, they didn't give him time. And I think Mike Riley likes to throw the football down the field and, uh, he wasn't able to do that. I think he had a couple of, uh, couple of, you know, shots downfield, which he got to burn them and, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was, I, I think this team definitely gets their emotion and their attitude and their swagger from their defense. I thought we saw a good physical night from uh, the Elks offensive line and Jamie Wilder. What impressed me is Jamie Elizondo kept going to Wilder. Yeah. Because for, I would say, the first quarter he had success, and then the, the Lions had better success stopping Wilder in the second and third quarter than the fourth quarter. You know, they, the, the offensive line and Wilder just put a nail in the coffin uh, for the Lions. So very impressive performance. Special teams is still, you know, an issue. Uh, Terry Williams doesn't look like Terry Williams. I don't know if that's scheme or that's him. It did unfortunately cost Chris Ripon his job. Yeah, no kidding. The special teams coordinator was fired the next day. Um, and they did give up a 57-yard return to Chris Rainey on the opening kickoff. So that's another area that has to improve uh, for the Elks. But it was a step in the right direction. It wasn't a great look on the sidelines when Jamie kind of to- uh, tore into his special teams coach. I mean, uh, whatever. He he was upset, but it just the guys I was talking to after uh, both uh, current and former players like, ooh, that wasn't a good look. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you know, Jason Moss was the coach of this franchise for four years, so I'm used to hearing that. Um, <laughs> That's you know, a good point. That's I, a good point, yeah. I, I don't know what to say. It's just, you know, it's kind of the heat of the game, right? And yeah. Maybe that's the type of thing you you keep in the locker room. It did look like when when Elizondo was talking to Ripon, Ripon kind of gave it back a bit, and I would say that's probably not very smart on his part, but yeah. it's too bad that these things do get caught on camera because I do think it happens mm-hmm. on the sideline. I mean, if I go back to Jason Moss, we all remember in the same venue that he, he, he looked at Corey McDermott after there was, a, a I think, a safety conceded, by the uh, by Edmonton, and he didn't want to do that. So Jason Moss gave Corey McDermott the what two four, and <laughs> there yeah. you go. But uh, I thought too, Baldy, that Elizondo had a real edge to him in that game as well, and that's something he talked about with uh, with Morley Scott and I in our pregame meeting uh, on on Wednesday. Is we need to have an attitude, we need to have an edge, we need to go into wherever we're playing and own it. And I thought the head coach was telling himself that because clearly he was, you know, he was very adamant uh, quite a bit that in, in that game. And, you know, after the field goal by Sean White, when there was a, a, a holding or a illegal block penalty on Mike Moore, when it just turned out to be he got tripped and he yeah. fell into the Lions player. Mm-hmm. I mean, Elizondo would not give up on that, that particular call being reviewed and he won. So, you know, uh, but yeah, it, uh, when you see coaches speaking at each other, especially the head coach to an assistant coach, it's never a comfortable look, that's for sure. Well, lastly, I just like, you know, I look at uh, Rapon's uh, 
resume. This is his first year coaching in the CFL. He spent his entire career collegiately coaching in the in American ranks. There is yeah. a there is a difference between coaching American football and CFL football, especially as it relates to special teams. So maybe it just not only personality wise, but just philosophically and coaching wise, it just wasn't a good fit. Yeah, I don't think it was clearly. And- you know, we got to remember uh, AJ Gass was a special teams coordinator of the team until like a week before I think training camp or the week before the quarantine period started before camp, and basically it's because Elizondo wanted his own his own guy, mm-hmm. and his own guy was Ripon, and you know you meet Chris Ripon and he's just a wonderful guy to talk to, just a, a heck of a person. You know, he, he's had so much experience, but you're right. You know, you can have pro experience or, or NCAA experience, which he has 37 years, and he's been 10 of those years. He was a special teams coordinator. The kicking game, as you know, Baldy, is just so important up in the, in the Canadian game. Like, we call it legit three phases. Yep. And we're in the States. Yeah, yeah, special teams. But it's really offense, defense, and a little bit of special teams. Where special teams can really win you the game or lose you the game up here. So uh, it just it just didn't work. Um, you know, I, I don't know how they're going to handle it. I mean, maybe it's a case going forward where if they don't have a special teams coordinator in-house again, maybe it's one position coach handles kickoff return, another one handles punt return, another one handles kickoff cover, uh, punt cover, another one handles field goal, you know, field goal, field goal defense, that kind of thing. So uh, I don't know how they're going to do it. Of course, we we're going to find out Sunday until we found out there was a COVID outbreak. <laughs> but we're going to have to wait a little longer for that. <laughs> well, Dave, hopefully everything works out in the Elks' favor. I, I certainly wouldn't want to see a forfeit. That we will eagerly watch the situation, and I'm sure it. I'm hoping it is, but I'm pretty confident it won't be the only situation that we see before this season is done. Thanks for your time, Dave. Thanks, Paul. Anytime, my man. <laughs> Just across the inlet, far-sighted city planners have developed the finest football facility in North America. They have built the stadium at BC Place, a home for Expo 86. And today, the showcase for the game of the year in Canadian football. We're here live in Vancouver for the thrill of it all from CBC Television Sports as the Argos meet the Lions in Grey Cup 83. This is Lions Legends, a trip down memory lane with a player, coach, or builder that left their mark on BC Lions history. And this is our Lions Legends segment, and in the spotlight today is Angus Reed, former offensive lineman with the BC Lions, two-time Grey Cup champ, multiple All-Star award winner. We'll get to that in a second, but Angus, how often do people get you confused with Angus Reed, the pollster? Uh, my entire life, and it, obviously it got more so as I got to more in my own public life, yeah, it's been an ongoing uh, annoyance, been a bit of a joke, and now just kind of a funny thing since I've got to meet the man and kind of explain some of the, the, greatest, uh, the greatest mishaps we've had over my life in terms of the mistakes made by people that have resulted in some funny situations, really. But is that good for business? I mean, look at now. We're going through an election. Polls are a big thing. You're a, you're a motivational speaker selling books and everything. I would think if somebody Googles Angus Reed, you'd be at the top, and then, hey, uh, it works out. Yeah, I got booked twice mistakenly. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> and then I sent my profile pic, and they said, I thought well, you don't take this as big disrespect, but I thought you are quite a bit older than this. So it has been quite a few uh, mistaken identities, if you will, over time, but now it's just a funny coincidence. 
And I have met the man a few times now, so I've been able to share those stories because I think for sure we're the only two Angus Reeds in BC, and we might be the only two Angus Reeds in Canada. I don't know. It just It's always been a funny, ongoing joke for well over 25 years now. Uh, what's your nickname growing up? Because Angus Young, ACDC, you might fall into that too. I, well, and I do have an older brother named Malcolm, if, if you can believe that. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you have do you have a nickname, or did you have one in the locker room? Uh, you know what? I think I think the the lazy simplified version. A lot of people called me Gus growing up. I, I was never a fan of it. So, you know, Angus I think is a unique enough name that they just kind of went with it because it was yeah. it stood on its own. Yeah. Okay. So uh, when I say BC Lions football, what pops into your head first? Louis Pasaglia. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I grew up here my whole life, so that's that was named since I was a kid. I mean, there's a lot more. We could we could. He gave me. Two more seconds or five more seconds, but that would be the first name, the first thing, the first image person, yeah. What do you think of when you think of Louis Pasaglia? How would you describe Everybody knows him, but how would you describe him as a former teammate? Well, I think, you know, he, I, he actually he retired the, the year before I joined, so I never actually got to play okay. with him, but I know the man very well. But what I can say is he, he kind of was the perfect image of, of CFL football you know, he was a local boy that, that played high school football in, in the Vancouver area, went to Simon Fraser University, then goes and plays 25 years for the local team. So I think, you know, it sets all the records and, and becomes the face of a franchise from growing up 10 minutes away. So I think he kind of is the poster child for everything we sort of dream of CFL being, kind of a Canadiana at its heart where you have, you know, somebody playing the sport in their hometown all the way through and then becoming the greatest face for the franchise that, you know, they grew up as a kid seeing themselves. So I, I think he just sort of is the model for the for the greatest archetype, if you will, of, of Canadian football. Well, you're the model, according to your website, of, of hard work, determination, overcoming uh, obstacles to get to where you are. Because uh, the first uh, about Angus I read, from a physical and talent perspective, Angus <laughs> Reed has no business playing professional football for 13 years, all-stars and two great cups. Expand on that for me. Well, I'm an offensive lineman, and I think anyone that follows football for a few minutes can say that or would, would agree that offensive linemen are pretty much the biggest, strongest athletes in the whole world. I mean, these are massive men nowadays that are, you know, 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", 320, 350. I thought the guy was 392 pounds, and we've seen some at 400 pounds now. And they're just, they're just humongous men. And me, I'm at a, I'm at a towering, uh, cheating my way to six foot one. Like, I mean, cheating my way, like really <laughs> tippy-toeing it through. And, uh, you know, I got, I, I, I got, you know, normal sized feet, very normal sized hands. I'm, I'm not a massive human being by any stretch. If you took all my measurables, I was probably give or take a player or two, the smallest lineman league every day of my whole career. I stuffed my face with every, every bit of food I could find in front of me to get myself to 300 pounds, which was probably about 50, 60 pounds heavier than my body wanted to be. And I made it sit there for 20 years. So I was pressing the limits to, to make myself still the smallest slime in the league and that took everything i could to get to that place so you know overachiever in terms of physical standpoints not really exactly when you when you have a resume of a thousand linemen wanting the job i'm not the one that pops up when you start looking at those types of uh th those measurables and, and physical characteristics by by a long shot at all so what was your best characteristic why were you able to hang in there despite what you just uh, just said you weren't a mountain of a man comparatively yeah. speaking how did you hang in there I'd, I'd like to say I was I was intelligent, but that's probably lying right to your face. I, you know, I I think I'm stubborn and determined. I, you know, I'm one of the few I think from a lineman perspective, anyways, that I this is exactly what I wanted to do when I had to fight my win. Where a lot of guys are so big 
coaches come at them at a young age and say, look, you're going to be a great football player. And then, and then they go into the sport and, you know, they, they have people recruiting them into it because of what they've got. I showed up to the sports and this is what I want to do. I grew up watching it. And I didn't really have what coaches would say, oh, yeah, you got a good shot at making a kid. You're going to be what they want. But it was me that said, I'm going to do this. And I was the guy that was willing to then do everything else that was in your control outside of being, you know, 6'5 and 350 pounds and long arms, but all the work, all the learning, all the film, like whatever I could do, I doubled, tripled down on that. So I had a really good work ethic because it was stubborn determination that, I'm going to do everything possible to make this to make this my reality. This is what I want. Whether whether they want me or not is a different story. I'm going to force the issue and 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 just you know not stop till I've exhausted everything. And I was fortunate enough to to make it work. Now you mentioned the fact that uh, you uh, you wanted to do this all along. You mentioned Louis Pasaglia at the start, but Louis Pasaglia wasn't an offensive lineman. So I mean, who are you watching to 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 make you salivate, make you want to be a pro football player? So you can talk to your, your compadre there, Julio Caravetta, who, who babysat me once or twice when I was about 10 or 11 years old. Because, yeah, no, no, I've known Julio since I was a youngster because he went to university at Simon Fraser with, and played with my oldest brother, Mark, who was an offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. And Mark was even shorter than I was, if you can believe it. He was like five foot ten, and he made the Lions in 1990 as a long snapper. And they, they, they think they, they kicked him on the roster as an offensive lineman. But, he, you know, he was there snapping. But he was a lineman. Mm-hmm. And he was there uh, when, when Doug Flutie first came in the league. Mark Gaston was there kind of that when, they, when the black jerseys first came out. So I'm a, here I am, a 10-year-old, 11-year-old kid uh, with my brother on the team. And, and I'm meeting guys like Jim Mills and, and uh, you know, Ian Sinclair and all these linemen on the team that my brother got to play with and I got to meet. And all of a sudden – you know, when you're 10, you're impressionable. And I saw this, and I'm like, this is what I want. And I, and I was one of the lucky ones to, to get to meet these people as, as people and get to shake their hands and get to know them. And that just, that was it. You know, that opened the window of inspiration to me that for the rest of my, my time, it was this is what I want to do, and, and, and this is what I want to be. And I had those kind of actual tangible role models to anchor down going, no, man, I want to be like that. Like, this is where I want to go, and I want to play here and do this. Angus Reed, if I could put you back on a field in in Angus Reed's twenty eight year old body and relive one play, one moment, one game, what game would you be in again? Uh, the the twenty the twenty eleven Grey Cup, yeah, the one we won at home uh, against Winnipeg, and that was the year, if anyone remembers, that we started zero and five, and we were we were a complete write off, and told everyone was going to get cut, and Wally was done, and we were useless, and. Then we won the next game and got slaughtered the next time, so we were 1-6. and six. No team uh, in pro football history on either side of the board had ever won a championship at that level. And we hung in there. We anchored down. We didn't bring in a, no, a new team. We solved our problems. We routed off 13 straight wins, and then we went out and won that great cup at home when people never thought we would even win another game at one point. And to me, that game, uh, you know, pick any snap you want on the back end of that game, but even before kickoff, we knew we were going to win. We, we had overcome everything and bonded as a team, and I'd never been more proud of a group of people than that unit because we had to deal with media every day at 0-5 and 1-6 and that who's to blame, why do you guys suck, and you guys are all done. And we turned around and rattled off those 13 straight wins and, and won it at home. And, and real fairy tale, uh, real fairy tale story that I will never forget one moment of that game, and really one, not one moment of that, that entire season. Can you give one person credit for that? Like, Wally was the face of it, but could you give one person <laughs> credit for that? Because You know, I, I, I hate to give Wally the credit for it, but uh, there was a point I remember when we were about when we were on five, and he did sit us down as a team and said, listen, guys, because you got to realize the way the CFL contracts are set up, you know, people can get cut 
in a moment's notice. And you know, at 0 and 5, people are going to go. You know, people people got to get blamed. People got to be accounted for. So we're sitting there, and you can really feel tension building of offense is going to blame defense, defense is going to blame offense, players are going to blame coaches. Everyone's just going to implode because you're looking to save your job. And I remember Wally sat us down and said, "Listen, if anyone's going, it's me. I'll be the first one to go. You guys have a job as long as I'm here." And I think that. That was very powerful because it settled the anxiety and said, listen, get back to getting better. Let's solve our problems. Don't worry for a moment who's going to get cut. You're my guys. So if I'm here, you're here. I'll be the first to go. And whether he was lying through his teeth or not, which he probably was because pro football isn't – no one's going to give you that assurance. It calmed us, I think, enough to get back to let's just try to win the day, win this next game instead of freaking out. And then internally uh, there was a bunch of us. I mean, we had – a good group of strong veterans. G-Roy was there, uh, my, myself, Brent Johnson, and, and emerging, emerging leaders like Travis Lule was coming along. But we had enough guys that had won in the past and had been part of that 0-16. But really it was, I think, Wally anchored us to, to not allow us to start panicking over what we couldn't control and just gave us that, that kind of uh, a bit of comfort saying, listen, I'm going down with this ship. We're in this together. Let's just worry about solving the problems. And we did. We fixed it. It was unbelievable. Angus Reed has a book that you just recently released called uh, Thank You, Coach. Now, uh, where does that uh, fall in terms of uh, degree of difficulty in your life, writing a book? <laughs> well, it's, you know, I, I've done keynote speaking for a long, long time. And I remember I used to keep telling my wife, uh, and the book is about my position coach, Coach Dan DeRazio, who I had for a decade. And I remember I keep telling my wife, I talk so much about Coach Dan, I could write a book. And you say enough things like that to your wife. Sooner or later, my wife said, well, then write the damn book. Stop telling me and write it. And then I'm like, oh, well, I don't know how to write a book. She goes, well, you tell these stories. I'm like, just, just write the thing. So I didn't know what I was doing. If I think I really knew what the undertaking was, I never would do it. But I was just naive enough to go, okay. And just I pulled out my laptop and just started writing a book. And I, had, I didn't know what was going on. And I basically wrote the whole thing in, in, a, in a couple months. My wife would send me down to my parents' cabin every weekend and just say, look, don't come back till you're done each weekend. And just, just get things done. And I hammered it out. And then, then I got some help, you know, some, yeah. some cleaning things up. But I wrote the thing, and I it's, uh I'm very proud of, of the fact that I actually did something that I think a lot of people kick around the idea of doing, and I, I, hunk, I hunkered down and did it. And, uh, I, yeah, and I'm proud that I was able to, to share my thanks for my coach, share some football stories, share some leadership lessons. And, and um, what it's really done for me, I think, is expanded my relationships with coaches across the world, really, in football, because it's a book about offensive lines, a book about coaching, it's a book about football, and it's enabled me now to meet way more people than I ever would have before and, and, and really uh, create way more relationships through this amazing game. Give me an example of somebody you met through the book. Uh, I, I could, so there is probably way more people than I could ever describe through the high school football network all through the United States now that have, you know, purchased, not just purchased my book for themselves, but, you know, reached out to me via social media and they buy, you know, 30, 40 copies for, for all, their whole team or, or for their staff. And then what's been really cool is you know since since COVID happened and now you know the Zoom meetings and the online interactions has, has opened up. Now they follow up and they say, "Look, can you come speak to my team?" And I'm able to do this, you know, speaking to schools in in Texas and and, and South Carolina and Florida now. And then they'll they'll have my book and all the kids on the team will read my book and they'll come prepared with questions and I'll do interactive talks with them online, which to me uh, is something I, I never even dreamed as a possibility even a few years ago. You know, you'd speak speak locally at events, but now the reach and I, you know, maybe having a credibility, having a book 
gives you a platform to people now that, uh, you know, they, they, they read your book, they, they watch my TED Talk on why we need high school football, and then they, they reach out to me, and I can interact with them now anywhere, uh, right from the comfort of, of not having to travel and fly and all the expenses. And so the real blessing to me is, you know, I'm, I'll be 45 coming up, and I've been away from football as a player now for, whew, you know, seven, eight years, but I can still hopefully uh, bring some value to, to our youth right now through my stories, through my memories, through my lessons learned that I've been able to put in a book, put in my talks, and I'm able to, uh, at least I hope, positively impact you know, youth right now, 16-, 17-, 18-year-old kids that are, are looking for not just hope and direction and inspiration, but guidance and, and, and tips and, and just things to anchor on. And what's been really amazing is that they follow up and reach out to me later, and sometimes the kids themselves, they, they stay in touch, and, and they, mm-hmm. it, it matters to them. And so to me, uh, you know, I'm proud of everything I did on the field, but I'm, much, uh, I'm so much prouder now that I'm, in, I'm able to utilize that and keep helping uh, our kids today – that are still playing this great sport and still growing up through football and trying to make themselves as good as they can as a person. Okay, you got your talks and and people know where to find you all over social media, but let me ask you this question, my friend. What's one message you'd like to get across to a, to a young football player, a young high school athlete? Learn to commit to something. I think the greatest the the, the greatest differentiator in today's society that I'm seeing is is the kids that actually commit and, and kids that half commit to things. And it's very easy in our world now to, to do something till it gets difficult or do something till it's not fun today or do something till something shinier is down the road. I think, you know what, you know, you sign up to play football or you sign up to do anything or you, you decide to do any, anything, finish it, see it through and give it all you have while you're doing it. And you'll be shocked at, at how you positively change as a person. And you'll realize that most successes in this world are by people that just keep going where most people, you know, as soon as it gets hard, they're done, or they'll feel like it today, uh, or it's not as fun as it used to be, or it's challenging now. Just just keep going. Just, just, just keep going, and you'll be shocked. And don't get overwhelmed by, by, by people that are more talented or have cooler clothes. It's irrelevant. Commit to something, show up, and, and see it through, and bring everything you got to doing it, and I think you'd be amazed at how far you can go in this life. And I think it's a lesson that youth sports can teach you to, to, to sign up, do it right, bring all you got, and see it through. And, 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 don't, and don't quit on something until it's done. My, my son's playing um, college football down at UND in North Dakota. And, wow. Uh, and, and he, he made Fighting this, Sioux? Yeah, fighting uh, Sioux? Yeah, Fighting Hawks is what they call it now. Fighting yeah, Hawks, and, and that's they, and, correct. My bad. Yeah, no, that's yes, fine. That's right. And they made the switch. They made the switch. He switched from receiver to safety at college level. So he's learning everything. A new, uh, a new game. Yeah, it's tough. And couple the fact that his parents haven't been able to come down and see him because of yeah. uh, he never got to move him yeah. down and I actually just got off the phone with him uh, just before we talked here and he's going through the dog days of training camp where he's like man I haven't played an, an, in an actual <laughs> game for two years and this is tough and I'm doing real well like he said I'm leading the I'm leading the camp and pass breakups and I'm leading the safeties and execution but I still don't think I'm going to play this year dad because we got four guys ahead of me that are veterans on the roster and it's just going to be so tough and it's like you just spoke. I have to let him listen to this. He's not going. He's not going to quit. But you know, you know what I mean. Kids need to hear that sometimes. Yeah, big time. You know, I think you need to realize too that it's hard in today's world. Everyone expects things instant, and you know, you work really hard. Why didn't you get the reward right now? Why aren't I starting right now? And you need to realize what's in your control and what's not. And commitment and hard work and effort is always in your control. And when when the breaks come your way, isn't but 
what we can guarantee you is if you quit, it'll never come your way. And if you keep moving forward sooner or later, it's going to happen for you and, and you'll be there and you'll have earned it and, and you'll be ready for it and you'll seize it. And you'll, and then, and then people think you were lucky, but I think, you know, uh, what a great, what a great story of your boy. And please wish him my best because he's doing everything right. He, he, he's giving all he's got to the task that's in front of him. And that's all we can ask for. And that's the best you can do. And good things are going to happen to people that stay hard at work at what they've been asked to do and bring their best. Two more quick questions for you, Angus Reid. This has been a great chat, by the way. How much more important is your job today than it was uh, before the pandemic? Because I do think a lot of young kids, a lot of athletes, a lot of coaches need somebody to kind of be that steadying voice for them in a tough time. Mental health's a big deal, and there's a lot of things that kind of went topsy-turvy here in the last 18 months. And we're not out of this yet either. No, I, I couldn't agree more. Look, see, important things matter most when 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 things are maybe at their bleakest, and and it's one thing to get people fired up and excited when when things are going well, and that, that's all good. I mean, people need that to keep moving on. But you're right. I think people when they start when they start getting down, they start getting uh, you know losing that 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 confidence and, and hope might start diminishing. You need a reminder that this is when we need your best more than ever. And, and, and you can't control everything that happens out there, but you can control how you approach what you decide to do. And, and that starts with, with where you put your thoughts, where you put your feelings, and where you put your energy. And, and I think these kids need reminders that, you know, you put your focus on all the external things that are out of your control and, and the rulings that are going to let you or not let you do certain things. And you've got to keep your focus on what can I do right now to keep moving forward and whether that's studying a little more or watching what you eat a little better or getting some push-ups in or talking to your friends or going out for a walk or or, or whatever it may be that you can do that's where you got to keep your energy and focus and, and keep channeling and everything that you can constantly do to make yourself better and be there for your friends support each other encourage each other bring yourself out stay united and keep helping each other move forward that's awesome, man. Okay, last question for you as a BC guy. Uh, I'm, I'm on the outside looking in, but I think it's one of the best news stories to hit this league in a couple of years is the new owner of the BC Lions coming on, Omar Doman. I don't know him. Uh, he's saying all the right things. I'm going to go with a positive look at this. But for a local guy to love BC, talk about Canadian football, I mean, that's a home run. Yeah, I, again, I don't know him personally either. I've heard a few people that, that do, and uh, from that perspective, I hear good things. But from a from a bigger viewpoint, uh, I think you said it. You know what I've said for quite a few years now is we need we need a, we need a local owner. We need someone that obviously has deep enough pockets that 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 can that cannot need this thing to make money on day one. Understand the realities of what owning a CFL team is, and I think he's the right guy on that perspective. But I think you need someone that that's from not not necessarily from here, but has been here a while, uh, lives here breathes here and quite honestly has a bit of an ego about it like this is where you live you want you don't want people snickering about what you own and you know behind your back of the restaurants you want someone that's out there in the community and proud of what he owns and wanting to to be a part of the people that are proud of what he's being able to bring to them and he fits the bill i mean he's in he's in the community he knows the right people and he's here for for reality and he he's not he's not going to be able to run and hide when things go bad because this is where he is and he seems like he's got that pride and want to make whatever he's involved in great. So time will tell, but I'm fired up about it. 
You know what, Angus? I've been doing this for 25 years. That uh, that makes me shudder, actually, a little bit. But I've been doing this for 25 <laughs> years. This is one of the best interviews I've ever done. I'm serious. Oh, uh, great. come it's great. on. No, I'm serious. It's great. It's great. You're uh, I, I don't know. And I, I want to slip one more in here. It's a podcast, so I could talk for as long as I want, if you'll humor me for a second. Sure. Were, were you always a talker? Like, were you always yeah. like this? Did you know you were going to do this after football? No. <laughs> well, if you ask my mom, it's so I have... I have four older brothers and a younger sister, so she to get a word in at all at the dinner table, you had to be a few things. Uh, one, you had to be quite loud verbally, or no one's gonna no one's gonna even hear you. You had to be pretty aggressive verbally, or no one's going to give the time to care what you're saying. And then you had to be relatively interesting, have a point, or or they're just gonna be mad at you for taking up their space to talk. <laughs> So you become very good at being a vocal, uh, decisive, and hopefully uh, relatively interesting. And it fit my bill well as a center, too, to be able to mm-hmm. verbalize what needs to get done quickly, loudly, efficiently, and, and, and hope for the best. But, yeah, I got a lot of reps in it at the dinner table. I got a lot of reps in it on the football field in the locker room. So I don't know if I ever wanted to do this my whole life, but it, it came rather naturally to be able to uh, communicate my thoughts in front of people and then hopefully share my ideas that, you know, are enjoyable enough to want to listen to. Well, I can call you Big Man because you're bigger than me. So, Big Man, where, <laughs> where can they get a hold of you if they want you uh, for talks or any information? Uh, my website's easy, AngusReed64.com, and then your regular social media handles on, on Twitter, Instagram. I think Twitter, I'm at AngusReed64, Instagram's uh, Angus underscore Reed64. You know, you punch in Angus Reed. Add the 64 and you'll get me, not the guy that's going to contact you every Tuesday night at 6.30 to ask you about the liberals and then the conservatives and all the other nonsense that you don't want to talk about. You want to talk about football and, and, and development of teams and culture. Put the 64 by the name and you'll get me better. Awesome, man. Thanks for this. I really appreciate it. All right, man. Take care. It's time for the gospel according to Ballsy. All right, time now for the Gospel According to Ballsy. I'm going to give you my picks for this week. Now, depending when you listen to this, I'm taking the Montreal Alouettes over the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I think Hamilton's still trying to figure things out. They've got too many injuries. The Alouettes were one yard away from winning their game in Calgary and going to 2-0, so I'm going with the Alouettes here. I've got the BC Lions over the Ottawa Red Blacks. More in a moment on that, but I think they'll run roughshod over the Red Blacks despite Ottawa's good defense. I think, once again, the Red Blacks' defense will be on the field too long. And I'm going with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to smoke the Calgary Stampeders. I think Jake Mayer is going to have a wake-up call in Winnipeg. It's the first road game of the year for Calgary and I think the young quarterback gets roughed up by a Winnipeg Blue Bombers defense. Jeff Coat and Jefferson can wreck a game plan and I think they'll do exactly that. I don't think Mayer's going to finish the game. I think Michael O'Connor comes into the game in a cleanup role and it'll be an ugly cleanup role. Let's talk about a couple of these quarterbacks, okay? Why the hell did Lapo go with Nichols over Arbuckle in Ottawa? Nichols is shot. He can't throw to the wide side of the field. He can't run. Yeah, sure, he can read a defense, but so can my buddy Julio Caravada. I wouldn't put him in at quarterback. All due respect, Julio. Also, Vernon Adams. To me, Vernon Adams is a uh, slightly fancier Nelon Green. Good athlete, He can hit the receivers every once in a while, but by and large, especially when throwing deep, he can't hit water from a boat. Vernon Adams is just okay, and he'll only be 
just okay. We need cameras in the instant replay booth, all right? Like they did in the AAF and they did in the XFL. I like that feature. I think TSN should implement a camera in the replay booth so we can see what the referee is talking about with the instant replay official. Because I'll tell you what, that catch by Braden Lenius of the Rough Riders last week against the Red Blacks was not a catch if it's in the middle of the field. They gave it to him because it was kind of a tap-tap play on the sidelines, but that is not a catch if it's in the middle of the field. Sorry, but it's not. And I want to know why they decided that was a catch. And let me say this as it relates to football. I can't figure out why we can't get university or junior football on national TV consistently, but we get to watch the pathetic World Women's Hockey Championship. Now, don't get me wrong. There are great athletes in women's hockey. I broadcast women's hockey on TV. I think there are outstanding athletes in the sport. But they can't have a world championship when most of the teams stink. ROC, Russia, gets outshot 62-7. to And you're going to tell me that's worth putting on national TV. There are three teams in that tournament that can play. Canada, the U.S., and Finland. So once again, I ask you, at the risk of having negative comments on my Growing the Game with Ballsy Facebook page, and I welcome good or bad comments, also at Instagram and on Twitter, GTG with Ballsy. Listen. Why can't we get amateur football consistently on national TV, but we're subjected to this when only three teams are good? I was arguing with a guy on Twitter the other day. He's like, well, but it's come such a long way. Just 10 years ago, they couldn't even make a 10-foot pass. <laughs> well, buddy, you and I have different ideas of elite tournaments. Let me tell you that. This has been Restore the Roar podcast. If you have a story idea you'd like the guys to pursue, email Michael Ball at mball at harvardbroadcasting.com.